0: June 10th, 1929. My name is Margaret, Margaret Penelope Price. It's a mouthful, right? My dad bought me this tacky brown leather diary from an old dusty pawn shop for 75 cents, but you know what they say, it's the thought that counts. He looked so pleased with himself that I couldn't possibly break that big old heart of his and show how much I secretly hated it. Does he really think I'm that lonely? What could I possibly need to say or get off my chest? I'm 14 years old, and I have two siblings that are, of course, smelly, disgusting boys. Seriously, what part of I wish for a little sister did my parents not get? My dad and 18-year-old brother James work in a factory while me and my 11-year-old brother Max go to school. They're the hardest workers I know, working 12 to 14 hours a day, 7 days a week. Not even mentioning the wages of 50 cents per hour, sometimes even less. I wish there was something I could do to help. But they say women and girls aren't fit to work. We need to stay in the house, they said, locked up like animals. It certainly doesn't help that Papa says to stay focused on my studies and not to worry. James is the type of person that listens to everyone's problems, but yet won't talk about his own. Similar to me. He is the most composed, dependable person anyone could ever want. There isn't anything I haven't told him, and there isn't anything he hasn't told me. I guess the word you could use to describe us is close. I'm not the sentimental type, but he might just be my most favorite person in the world. We need each other, but Max is different. Max is so much like my mom that it spooks me. He has the same smile, the same eyes, and loves board games just like she did. An exact replica of her. I'm reminded of her every day just by looking at him. I'm not sure if he knows it, though. I was six years old when the influenza virus took her from this world. Ever since then, no one has touched the corner of our apartment dedicated to her board games, except Max. I refused to play them, and I guess that's because it was the last thing we did together as a family. I take care of Max just like Mama would have wanted me to, but I could truly never replace someone as great as she was. This has been our new normal for eight years now, and I don't want or need anything else to change that. October 29, 1929. Today was nothing like I've seen before. They called it the Wall Street Crash of 1929, but James called it the Great Crash. Either name sounds pretty fitting. The stock market crashed. It crashed. The overproduction of goods, low wages, countless bank failures, and unemployment rates were too much to even grasp. We were crowded around the old, battered radio, craning our necks to hear the muffled and somewhat panicked voices discussing the day's bizarre events. The damage has been done, Papa said to me and James. The tone of his voice said all it needed to say. I could see James thought the same by just his stone-cold, solemn expression. Oh no, I thought. We cannot go down the same path we did when Mama died. I won't let us. We barely survived the hole we dug for ourselves back then. Papa had completely shut off, and it was like when she left, a big piece of him went along with her. He would sit in there well, now his room, and look at the mama-sized hole in the bed. He wouldn't eat, drink, bathe, or even sleep. Just stare. It was the only time James had completely shut me out, but I didn't oblige. Instead, I helped out around the apartment and took care of Max while James went to work and covered for Papa. Max was only three at the time. I had absolutely no idea what I was to do with him. He was too little to understand much of that era dedicated to our grief. Papa took an exasperated breath and continued. We've been down this road before. It's nothing that we can't handle. Before he could finish, I felt something familiar. Something boiling up inside of me that I had kept bottled up for all of these years. Now's your chance. Unable to control myself, I blurted. We didn't handle it. Me and James handled it. You weren't there. I brought up Max by myself because there wasn't anyone else. I was terrified. Terrified of losing someone else that I loved. Terrified of the fact that you didn't get up off that bed for months terrified that this family would give up on each other, and terrified that I no longer had a mother to wake up to. James went to work so we didn't lose our home. He fed us. He helped me put Max to bed at night when he had nightmares. He did everything you were supposed to do. How could you do this to me, to us? How could... Fine, you want to know what I really think? I think that this family is broken beyond repair. We will never be able to get out of this hellhole. No one is enough. You are not enough, and you will never be enough, Papa said between snarls. Both of you, that's enough. Maggie, can't you see that Dad is sorry? He lost the person that he loved. We aren't the only ones who lost someone that day, James said. He looked at me pleadingly, as if it would make up for the horrible things I had just said. I knew what I had said was wrong, and I felt terrible for it, but I wasn't ready to forgive him yet. What made me the most angry was the fact that James was defending him, even though he suffered much more than I did. How are you just able to forgive him for everything? Why are you on his side? He is the one that made Mama's death ten times harder, I said hysterically. Before I knew it, I stomped off to my room and slammed the door as hard as I could. That'll show him. I turned around, glanced over my bed, and saw the doll. It sat up as straight as can be against a pillow, with its little strips of brown hair tied into pigtails, perfectly symmetrical face, completed with a satin ribbon looped around a pink dress. James had given it to me when Mama died, and since then I haven't slept a night without it. I heard a knock on the door, but I was too overwhelmed by what had just previously happened that I ignored it. Knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Don't give in, I thought to myself. You'll always be the one that has to forgive and then forget. The knocking finally stopped before James furiously threw open the door. Go away, I said. I knew it was James. I could feel his presence in the doorway even though my back was to the door, holding the doll in my hands. No, Maggie, please just listen to me. You are enough. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. I said go away you think you can magically fix everything with the snap of a finger, but you can't fix this family, I screamed to- through tears. So stop trying so hard and leave me alone. I never want to see you again. I hurled the doll across the room at James, much harder than I intended to. He slightly staggered when he caught the doll, and both of our eyes met. I could see the hurt, the pain, and the sadness wash over his entire face before he left, not knowing that I would regret saying those very same words for the rest of my entire life. November 18th, 1929. In the company's vague letter, they said James died from extreme berm-related injuries. We all knew the risks, and it wasn't exactly rare these days. The factories became so dangerous that the death toll rose to 150 workers dying per day. When we heard the news, I felt like a part of me was missing. Now I truly know how Papa felt that day. I acted exactly like him. I stayed in my room. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. But instead of staring at a bed, I stared at the letter. I reread it over and over again, hoping that it wasn't true. But it was. I regretted every single thing that came out of my mouth that day. More than anything, I wished that I had the chance to say goodbye. James had put the doll right next to my door as a way of apologizing to me, even though I did nothing to deserve it. It was the night after our fight when he did that, but I still couldn't bear to look at it, knowing that it would pull me deeper into despair. A few weeks later, when I was finally able to just plainly look at it, I knew James wouldn't have wanted me to do this. It's kind of ironic because it's what gave me the motivation to stop moping around and help Papa as much as he'd let me. Papa finally ended up letting me get a job. But I only work night shifts so that I'm still able to be there for Max. Yes, a night job. Not to mention the job itself and the ridiculous uniform that comes with it. I work from 9pm to 6am cleaning inside houses, doing laundry, and making the beds of the snobby, rich folk, otherwise known as a maid. I hate to say this, but it might be the only thing keeping me sane since James died. I leave my shift and come home with just enough time to climb into bed and pretend to be asleep next to Max. We hardly see Papa anymore. When we leave for school, he's gone, and before I leave for my shift, he's resting. I don't bother him, but I do worry. I went to go wait in line down at the bakery on the corner and overheard two men saying about how many people are being let go in the factories. If Papa loses his job, it'd be the end of us. January 6th, 1930. Nothing has really changed. No, that's a lie. I'm sick of change, and I hate it, but I can never seem to escape it. Let's try this again. So much has changed. I can no longer go to school because we need another income since James died. So now, the only time I'm allowed out of the house is when I'm going to my now full-time job as a maid. Papa says it's because the air quality is terrible and getting worse, but I see it as his excuse of spending more time with us. I think he wants us to know that he doesn't like missing out on our lives, especially our childhood, although it might be a little late for that. It's not very thrilling when I do want to get some fresh air, because the only thing I see on the streets nowadays are poor people. The company gave him a week of leave to deal with the funeral arrangements for James, even though we decided that cremation was the cheaper way during these awful times, like what we did with Mama. We were all squeezed together on the couch one late afternoon when Max stood up abruptly and disappeared without a word. Me and Papa stared at each other in puzzlement until he quickly returned carrying a familiar box. It had a scarlet red background patterned with white tiles all over it. Max set it down on the table in front of us. Want to play with me? I need more people for Scrabble anyways, he asked. The way he had said it was if he had already regretted asking us, as if he knew the answer and it hurt me. I could tell that all he wanted to do was something, anything as a family. It was the only way he knew how, and I don't blame him, because James isn't here anymore. Max looked quite eager, trying to anticipate what came out of our mouths. Scrabble, I thought. Mama's favorite game. At that moment, I was flooded with all these emotions. Fear, anguish, isolation, and most of all, regret. I wish I didn't shut off when James died. I wish I was there for them, my only family I have now, Papa and Max. From that point on, I was determined to turn our lives around, because James would have wanted me to. The first step was to right all of my wrongs, and the biggest wrong that I had to fix was sitting right in front of me. Of course we'll play, I finally said, speaking for the both of us. As I sat upright and began to play with them, I could hear James say the last word he uttered on this earth to me, and only to me. His voice echoed through my head saying, you are enough. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. I knew he was proud of me. I can't explain how. I just knew.